right. Well, good morning again. Thank you, Wyatt. Um, again, uh, David is not in town this week. Uh, Matthew is also not in town this week. Uh, so here I am. Um, and you'll have to forgive me. It's not that I'm just I'm weaker than David, so I need to sit down. Uh, I have injured myself. My knee is in some some pain, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stand up, but uh, sit down some as well. So, um, so I do uh, want to thank David and the church uh, for this opportunity to come before you to to, to bring God's word. Uh, really, uh, my you know I teach on Sunday mornings uh, with the uh, young adults, and we've been studying through First Peter together. And so today is is just me excited to share with you. Uh, what God is teaching us through First uh, Peter. Um, and so, I want to start by asking you a question uh, for you to consider. Um, have you ever lived in or visited a place for an extended period where uh, you were a foreigner, where you, uh, maybe you felt like a stranger, um, like you just didn't belong there? Uh, as many of you that know me and know my family, we spent some time in Germany a couple of years, and so uh, we definitely felt that for those couple of years that we were in Germany. Um, I, I was thinking as I was studying through this, I remember this this kind of amusing story, but I'll tell it real quick. Um, I remember the first time I was going to order some food in Germany. I was working there across the street. There's a nice little uh, restaurant. Um, I've been practicing right? I got my Duolingo. I've got all my phrases ready. I go confidently to that counter, and I order my food in German. I think I did a great job, right? They're preparing food. And I was praying, please don't respond. Please don't say anything other than, you know, here's your food. Uh, But he asked me a question, and man, I was nervous. I didn't know how to respond. I just, the first thing that came to my mind as I was sitting there trying to come up, what's the, give me a German word, I said, see, and uh, yeah, you don't have to be a linguist to figure out that that's not the appropriate German response to anything, right, Uh, much less the German word for for yes, I actually don't even know Spanish, so I don't know where it came from, just nervous, right, Um, but But, see, I was a stranger in a foreign land, and I kind of let my emotions, the circumstances, uh, overcome me, cloud my mind at that moment. Now, this is a a silly, kind of harmless example, Uh, but I was reminded of this as I was reading Peter's message, uh, which is addressed to the exiles, um, the exiles that are also called strangers or sojourners, right? Um, Right. They were scattered throughout the Roman provinces in Asia Minor, and so the recipients of this letter were literal strangers, right? Um, But they're also more than that. As believers, uh, they were strangers. They had citizenship that is otherworldly, just as you and I do. If we are believers in Christ, right, our citizenship is not uh, here on this earth. It is in heaven. Um, So at the time of Peter's writing, uh, the early church faced a couple of crises, um, namely persecution and false teaching, which uh, uh, David reminded us of the warning of, of false teaching last week. Uh, much of Peter's writings address 
these challenges. First uh, Peter's full of exhortations uh, concerning faith and obedience uh, in the face of suffering and trials. Uh, so the purpose of the letter is to encourage believers to grow in their trust in God uh, and their obedience to Him, specifically during these times of trials and suffering. Um, and it's uh, through these times of suffering that Peter orients the gaze of the Christian upward, okay, um, to, uh, upward to the hope uh, that is to be revealed. And so one of the main goals of Peter's message is to connect our present suffering uh, to the purposes of the holy God that we serve, and really to remind us that none of the trials we experience are by accident, and that they are not absent of purpose, okay? Um, so the text where we'll focus much of our time this morning is, is we're going to come to a point in the text where it's an imperative, it's a command, uh, something we must be- obey as believers. Uh, in the early part of chapter 1, Peter spends a considerable, a considerable amount of effort describing the significance and the greatness of our salvation, um, and, and that salvation that leads to an eternal hope uh, of believers. Um, and he even, he, he says it here, uh, that our salvation is brought to the sinner by the grace of God in accordance with his foreknowledge, by the sanctification of the Spirit, for the purpose of obedience to Jesus Christ and the continual sprinkling of his blood over us. So as we approach verses 13 and beyond, we're encouraged to really pause and to consider and to meditate on these things, these things that, that, that Peter's just addressed in these first, you know, these 3 through 12, okay? Um, and then he implores us to act, act in accordance with, now that you know these things, you know these things to be true, now act. Um, so to give us a little better context, I wanted to review uh, just a few of the early parts of the letter, uh, the recipients and, and of course the writer of, of First Peter. So uh, I think it's pretty obvious from the opening of the letter that the writer is Peter. That's not our only clue, but um, he does say Peter, an apostle, uh, right out from the outset, right? Um, along with Paul, Peter uh, was one of the leading apostles in the early church. Uh, right? Peter was among the first disciples called by Jesus from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and I think throughout Peter's letter, we can hear that echo uh, of Christ's, word, Christ's words to him, that calling of, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We see that throughout uh, Peter's letter here. Um, Peter was called by Christ, he was commissioned by Christ um, for a purpose. On multiple occasions, we see Jesus providing Peter uh, with clear instruction on the purpose for which he has been called. Uh, Luke 22, Jesus commands uh, Peter to strengthen the brethren, right? In uh, the Gospel of John, uh, he's encouraged uh, or commanded to feed my lambs. As you recall, when Jesus is questioning him, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. So what we have in this inspired text is in part the obedience of Peter to the mission to which Christ has called him. He's writing to feed the flock, to strengthen the brethren in times of trial and suffering. And that strength, or as Peter puts it, that pure milk uh, that endures forever is found in the Word who became flesh and dwelt among men, Jesus Christ. So, a little literary context for you. Uh, chapter 1 of First Peter can really be broken into uh, three parts. 
Um, you've got the opening or the greeting, and if you've studied First Peter, you know that this greeting is way more than a greeting, okay? Those first two verses are thick. It's dense. Um, this greeting includes doctrinal truth and a foundation for the rest of the message that Peter has for the reader. And that truth is that salvation of human souls is carried out by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here, Peter begins by acknowledging the present condition of these believers and then offers them encouragement by reminding them that God, the God of all creation, has chosen them, that the miracle of salvation began with God and took place in the deep councils of eternity. Simply put, God has chosen you, God will keep you, God is preparing you, God cares for you. So that's kind of the first part. Second part, the description of the greatness of the believer's salvation. And we're going we're gonna to refer back to this portion a lot. Um, this is, of course, again, to provide encouragement, reminding them that they have been redeemed and to remind them of the implications of that glorious reality. Namely, that they have experienced a new birth, right, into a living hope and into an inheritance that is kept for them in heaven. Now, this, this third portion, this is where we're going to concentrate our time uh, of study this morning, is, is the expectation that holy living must be the result of one who is now a partaker of the divine nature. Say that again. The expectation that holy living must be the result of one who is now a partaker of the divine nature. So it's here in this latter portion of the chapter where Peter is going to exhort believers to live as obedient children with our hope fully set on the great salvation that is this great salvation that he's just described to us that is to be enjoyed now, but also when it's fully revealed when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. So, as we enter this time of study together this morning, I hope you will notice these three things from our text. Obviously, any good Baptist preacher, we've got three, three points, okay? Um, number one, God's children are prepared. Number two, God's children are obedient. And number three, God's children are holy. So, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin in verses. Uh, we're going to be in verses thirteen through seventeen. We'll begin in verse thirteen. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Alright, so we have this command here, right? We have this, this imperative. Um, so, it might behoove us to know, what's, what's, what do we know about the the present circumstances of these believers. What's going on with them? Why are they in need of such encouragement? Well, Peter's writing this letter during Emperor Nero's oppressive reign, okay? Uh, these, these sojourners, these, these folks that, that don't belong where they are, uh, who are scattered throughout the Roman provinces in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, they're experiencing some level of persecution, and it's important to note, because 
they are followers of Christ, okay? They were facing verbal abuse, social ostracism, right, uh, discrimination. Um, and we see from chapter 3 that it may be that they're being tempted to respond by repaying evil for evil, okay? It says that they are being reviled and ostracized, which, which may have tempted some to resort to this same type of behavior and retaliation. It may also be that they are being tempted to join in with their unholy neighbors, right, into the sin and the debauchery, um, maybe to better fit into the world around them, right? Um, maybe just to not call as much attention on them as being different, being strangers. So I, I think these temptations that we see here may not be that unusual or that uncommon to us, right? Um, have you been mocked? Have you been reviled uh, for abstaining from the destructive practices of the world around you in any way? Um, have you been insulted on account of your faith in Christ? Do you sometimes feel like a stranger on this earth? Well, I want you to pay close attention to what the Lord is telling us today. If you feel like a stranger in this world because you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and now are living a life of obedience to the truth of God's Word, then own it, right? That's what he's saying here. Own it. Be a stranger, okay? Wear that as a badge of honor. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something to fear. Um, he's saying here, keep your eyes fixed on the one who has called you, right? There is much joy in this life if spent in the pursuit of the holiness of a holy God. So, we come here to this, this, this phrase, uh, or this word in our, our translations, therefore. Um, I told David, I'm gonna, I was not going to say, find out what the therefore is therefore. Yeah. Um, that's not what I was going to do. Uh, therefore. Uh, so, we're prompted by Peter with this term of conclusion. This is, this is a transitional conjunction, okay? We're going from what we know to be true uh, of God uh, to how we are to live in response to what God has done. Very simply, right? You may also read this as for this reason or for this purpose uh, or because of all these things that I've just told you, right? All these things that I've just reminded you of. Um, so we should be reading this, therefore, as because of these great glories of our salvation, live this way. Because you are chosen saints and because you have been birthed into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Set your hope. Set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you. So, the reason for the conjunction, therefore, is really found if you go back up to verses 3 and 4. I don't know how David does this. This is burning up up here. You guys hot? It is hot. <laughs> uh, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's for this reason that Peter challenges the Christian to set our hope fully, okay? Or set our hope completely on this reality. And this living hope is ours because of a living Savior, right, who sits at the right hand of God the Father. So this action, set your hope, right, um, this is the command we are to obey. 
This is the command in this section of Scripture. Uh, now, how do we do this? How do you set your hope? How do, God, how do you command me to, have my, to affect my affections? How does that work? How do you command me to do something with my heart? Well, it says right here. It's the mind. Therefore, with your minds ready for action. So the literal translation of this imperative statement, minds prepared for action, uh, and some of your translations may state it this way, is to gird up the loins of your mind. Um, this may be a somewhat unusual concept to the modern reader, but this would have been, would have been very familiar to uh, the early uh, recipients, recipients of this letter. So what is this practice? Girding up the loins of your mind. What, is this, what does this mean? So to gird up the loins, this is a practice of gathering the ends of the robe, right? So they wore these long, flowy robes. So to grab up the end of that skirt, Pull it up through your legs, tie it around your waistband, right? For what purpose? Why would you do that? Why would you gird up your loins? Well, the reason for doing this and tying it around the waist is doing so that their legs would be free to move, right? Unencumbered, okay? So they, they can now run the race. So I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't run a race. I wouldn't want to run one at all right now. My knee hurts. But I wouldn't run a race in this, right? I'm going to change my clothes. I'm going to get some active wear on. I'm going to be prepared for that race that I'm getting ready to run, or the battle that I'm about to fight in, okay? And so that's the, the picture here you see is changing out of our domestic clothes and into our active wear in our minds, right? So gird up the loins of your minds. So if the main emphasis of this verse is for the Christian to fix or to set our hope completely, then the encouragement or the call to action for the believer is that we must remove anything that might impede our action. Okay? That we might remove from our minds anything that might prevent us from being able to see God at work and then to respond in obedience to Him. So what is it? What is it that might be preventing you from responding to Him in obedience? What is it that's preventing you from running that race being steadfast, remaining steadfast in the Lord? Is there something that's preventing you, preventing your mind, right, from acting in obedience to the Lord? What Peter's saying here is remove that, get rid of that. This active imperative that Peter uses here should be understood as a decisive kind of action, okay? We take action here. A battle is coming. A race must be run. Later in this letter, he warns us of a fiery trial that's coming, okay? That we shouldn't be surprised by it. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. Some of you may know this by heart. Um, just a couple pages back. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. See how the writer describes this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, pay, pay attention here, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, the question we must ask ourselves, are we alert? Are we preparing our minds for action? Are we ready to respond obediently to the Word of God? 
the ESV describes it as Christian thinking focused on Christian living. Is that how you're living your life? He continues by saying, therefore, with minds ready for action, being sober-minded, or be sober-minded. So similar to this call to have minds ready for action is the call to be sober-minded, uh, or sober in spirit. And um, so this means exactly what it sounds like it means, right? What's the opposite of being sober? Being intoxicated, right? Uh, so similar to Paul's exhortation to older men in the church in Titus 2.2, 2, sober minds are self-controlled. They're free from intoxication, um, how can one be watchful? How can one be ready, right, with hope fully set on the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? This is, remember, that's the action here. We're set fully. How can you be that way if your minds are intoxicated by the world's pleasures? If your minds are intoxicated by the empty promises of the world? So, are you inebriated or intoxicated by the pleasures of this world? Are the trials uh, and present sufferings, like Peter's talking about here, too much for you to bear because you, your hope is set in the things of this world that will ultimately fade away? So, we prepare our minds for action, being sober-minded. Peter is challenging believers you have to abstain from the sinfulness of the world so that our minds are clear and we're not subject to the corrupting influence of sin that is all around us. John MacArthur said it this way, if a Christian finds anything more attractive than fellowship with Jesus Christ, if he yearns more to enjoy this world than to receive the joys of heaven, then he does not love his appearing. Instead, we must be like the Apostle John. He who testifies to these, say, these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We live expectantly with minds clear, right? Unencumbered. Not intoxicated by the world. So what's filling up your mind? What's drawing your attention? What's drawing your affection away from having your minds uh, and your, your hope completely set on the glory that is to be revealed. So therefore, with minds prepared for action, being sober-minded or exhibiting spiritual steadfastness, self-control, clarity of mind, set your hope. And, and to what degree does Peter ask us to set our hope? How much of that? Completely. Fully. No ambiguity here. There's no room for anything else, right? That means that Christians are not to hope half-heartedly, Right? It's like, oh, my hope is set on the grace that is to be brought to me at the revelation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm set. I'm set. I am set, but also keep my eye on this thing over here. I got, I got my hope over here in this financial security, this nest egg. I got a hope in that too, a little bit, right? I got my hope fully, it's, it's set, it's set, but I'm also hoping in my spouse, right, who is my everything, right? It's my everything here in this world. Or, or my hope's a little bit in my kids, right, or my job, or whatever it is, right, no, he says hope fully, completely, to what do we owe this hope, we hope fully, we hope decisively, we hope with absolute certainty on the foundation of Christ's redemptive work, 
Saints, we owe our complete hope exclusively to God's overwhelming graciousness in our lives. That's what we hope. That's what we hope in. John's Gospel uh, puts it this way, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him may, not, may have eternal life. For God loved the world this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. We owe our complete hope to the one who gave his life so that we might have eternal life. That's where our hope is. And it's completely set on him and his finished work. So Christians, um, we are prepared by having minds ready for actions, free from the intoxication of sin, with our hope fully set on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, So Christians then live in the future tense, right? Our present actions and decisions are governed by our future hope. So, number one, God's children are prepared. Number two, secondly, God's children are obedient children. Look at this verse here, right? Um, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. So the next argument that Peter makes here is a rather simple one to follow. Um, So, children inherit the nature of their parents, right? Um, Sometimes that's a bad thing, right? Sometimes that's a good thing. But in this case, Christian, you have been born of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that we have been birthed into a living hope and into an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. That means we are heirs with Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God, redeemed from our former way of life. And as we learned in, in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is a, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Peter continues by describing the resulting obedience that characterizes a true child of God. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Did Peter just say uh, that before we experience the redemptive work of Christ in our lives, did he just call me ignorant? I don't, I don't like that. But that's exactly what Scripture tells us, right? The unsaved person is void of spiritual intelligence. And this causes them to give themselves over to all kinds of worldly passions and lust. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. To see how Paul describes the unregenerate person, one who has not yet tasted the goodness of God's grace. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, see here, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The thing that distinguishes a believer from a non-believer is obedience, right? Obedience is the conformity of one's desires to the desires of the one who has given us a new nature, 
or say it a different way here, or to pattern one's life after, okay? So the basic character of a believer is obedience to God. The basic character, the thing that characterizes a non-believer is disobedience. That's how you're characterized before Christ's redemptive work. So obedience then is the inevitable result of salvation. So nature determines appetite, right? So a carnivore by nature craves what? Craves meat, right? Okay. An herbivore by nature craves plants to sustain them, right? The truth that Peter's teaching here is that we must act in accordance with our nature. If you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then you have received a new nature. Thus, fundamentally transforming your will and your desires through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. No longer do you have to be shackled to that sin, right? We're free now to serve Him in obedience. So why would we return to it? Peter explains it this way in the first chapter of uh, 2 Peter. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature escaping escaping the corruption of this world. That means that God, in His abundant grace, gives us the desire and provides us with the power to live in obedience. Now, I think we should acknowledge, okay, that our redeemed spirits, for as long as we're here on this earth, reside in these fleshly dwellings, right? Um, we, we will sin. That's a, it's a fact of life. The dangers and temptations of sin are always surrounding us, Right? Those fleshly desires may rear their ugly heads in your life. Uh, even the Apostle Paul referred to himself as the chief sinner uh, and lamented, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not uh, do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Uh, but God, friends, God has given us the knowledge to recognize those evil desires for what they are. And the Holy Spirit's regenerating work has broken the ruling power that they have over our lives. So in His strength, we can have significant victory over sin in our lives. We don't have to return to it. That's why Peter urges us to keep pressing on, pressing on toward holiness. Our lives can no longer be characterized by the pursuit of the desires of the flesh. Rather, believers, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, are to be characterized by the pursuit of holiness, right? Isn't that a freeing thing? I mean, have you considered it lately? The grace that has come upon you, that has freed you from the bondage of sin, don't sink back. Don't give in to those desires. So, God's children are prepared. God's children are obedient children. Thirdly, God's children are called to be what? They're called to be holy. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Notice the contrast between verses 14 and 15. 
do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but be holy. So don't be this, be this. Holiness is more than being set apart. It is being set apart, right? But it's more than that. The idea of holiness for the believer conveys a separation from evil and then a consecration to a life of righteousness. The clear instruction here is that as God's adoptive children, we are to stop pursuing those sins that characterized us in the flesh and to instead passionately, without delay, pursue holiness in accordance with this new nature. See how Paul describes holiness in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It says, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So this reference that Peter makes from Leviticus connects the new covenant Christian uh, to the old. Uh, the dominant reason for God's people, God's people Israel, right, to live in holiness was their relationship with God. So to be in fellowship with a holy God, one must be cleansed, right? Uh, MacArthur put it this way, as children of Israel were called to love and serve God and to separate themselves from immorality and uncleanness, believers today must heed the sovereign call to bear His image and obey His commands to be holy, since the Holy One has identified Himself with them in an eternally glorious work of sovereign grace. To be holy in all our conduct means that this is now our pattern of life. Okay? It's not a garment we throw on when we're in the right company. It's not a mask we wear to cover up uh, our evil acts, right? That's not what it is. This is a pattern of life. Holiness becomes our pattern of life that transforms every day, every moment, every thought, every action, everything. So following this command to live lives in pursuit of holiness, Peter provides a clear warning for believers as we are temporary residents on this earth. Fear the one who has power and dominion over all things. Don't fear man. Fearing man is what led you back in your former ignorance. And, and he's, he's providing, this, providing this encouragement to these believers. Remember, they're, they're feeling this pressure, right? I, I guess i got to be like everybody else. i gotta, I got to do the things that everybody else is doing. No, friend, you don't have to. You've been set free, right? Don't go back to that. Don't, don't, don't fall into this trap. You're a stranger, you feel like a stranger, that's because God has called you to be strange in this world. He's called you to be strange. Um, he says here, if you appeal to the, this is verse uh, 17, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. Uh, later in the text, uh, as he's explaining how uh, we as believers are to live relationally with a lost world, Peter states, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters. Um, what else does he say here? Uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, honor the emperor, fear who? Fear God. Don't fear the emperor. Don't fear 
these other people fear God. Dear friends, we can't afford to allow the fear of man to overtake us. There is one judge, only one who can give eternal life. Only one who has died in order that your sins might be forgiven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of His great mercy. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So, the question here is, do you feel like a stranger? Do you feel out of place? Well, thank goodness, right? This world is feel, filled with, with, with all types of evil, and it's going to press in on us, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to draw our attention, our affection away from the Lord if we let it. But God has given us the power. He's given us the power to see it for what it is. He's given us the power to overcome it. Live lives that are different. Clear your minds, right? Take up, gird up the loins of your minds. Remove any encumbrances. Free yourself from the intoxication of sin. Don't be intoxicated. Be alert, be ready, be watchful. This holiness will be strange to a world that is dead in their trespasses and sins. This holiness will be strange to those who are hostile to the things of God. And you may experience some of that hostility in your own life. But Peter reminds us to rejoice in this great gift of salvation, even though now for a short time, if necessary, right, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, if, if you've experienced God's saving power in your life, if you've been born again by the Spirit, uh, then you have been born into a living hope. And you have been given a new nature. You are now partakers of this divine nature and you are no longer slaves to sin and you have been set free. Therefore, be prepared. Therefore, be obedient. Therefore, be holy. For the one who has called you is holy. Um, maybe this message from God's Word uh, encourages you. Dear Saint, to persevere um, through the suffering and trials. And I, I don't uh, doubt that there are many going through trials and suffering uh, right now at this very moment. Uh, maybe the Spirit um, is convicting you and exposing areas in your life where you've yet to submit fully to the Lord. Maybe you would say, I'm, I'm hoping. I think I've got my hope set. But then... It, if you look at my life, it doesn't really look that way, right? The evidence, the fruit, maybe doesn't look the way that I think. Um, maybe you're just trying to hang on to some of those sins from your former way of life. Maybe you just quite haven't quite loosened the grip on that just yet. Um, or maybe you'd say, hey, 
Stephen, I appreciate all this. I'm not sure I've ever experienced this new birth you're talking about. Well, today, if the Lord is calling you, I encourage you to turn to Him. Repent. Turn to Him in faith. Trust Him to forgive you of those sins. Don't you want to be a partaker of that divine nature? Don't you want to be strange like me? Uh, look, I know it's a short message, and you can thank me for that. Um, in a few moments, we're going to come to a time of, of response. Um, and I want to encourage you to spend a few moments in prayer. I want you to let the Spirit of the Lord deal with you today. Um, I'm going to be standing down here, down front, uh, as Alex plays. And I'd really love the opportunity to pray with you, pray for you. Um, this, this message is not a difficult message, um, but it may be difficult to hear. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the short message from your word today. Thank you for these truths, promises that you have given us. God, we've been birthed into a new, we have a new birth, Lord God, a living hope. We take that to the bank, Lord God. It's undefiled, never fades doesn't decay that inheritance you have for us Lord God you put it away it's ours by your sacrifice God you have you have brought to light what has been hiding in the darkness God we dead in our trespasses and sins completely opposed Lord God to the things of God, the things that are good. God, you have redeemed souls. Thank you so much, God, that you have you have adopted your children into your family and that you continue, Lord God, to uphold us, to guard us, to keep us. Lord, we are yours. Acknowledge that today. God, we acknowledge also that there is there is sin all around us. This world is full of full of filth, Lord God. You have called your people to be unstained. To abstain from these sinful lusts and pleasures. To abstain, Lord God, from the things that can't fill us up, that can't bring us joy. God, I pray that we wouldn't sink back. We wouldn't be enticed by our former ways, our former ignorance, Lord God, but we would, we would live redeemed lives, fully devoted to You. Thank You, God, for the grace that has come to us. God, I pray for the one that is here that is struggling with a trial. Uh, maybe it's temptations. Maybe it's uh, just the worldly grief and sufferings that we encounter, Lord God. I just I lift them up today. Deal with Your, your saints, Lord God. Expose them. 
Let the truth of your word expose what's in their hearts that they might fully obey you, that they might fully set their hope on you. God, and for the ones that are here amongst us that may have not yet experienced that new birth, God, do a work, I pray. Only you can do it, Lord God. Draw them in, Lord God. Bring them to repentance and faith that they would trust you fully today. God, it's in your name we pray.